Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. If you're new to us, uh, we are in a series on the Gospel of Matthew. And if you are new to us, you're going to find out real soon And being a part of us is that we think Jesus is amazing. We think that he lived the life that we should have lived. He died for us. He was buried according to the scriptures. Uh, He rose to new life. He commissioned his disciples. He levitated into the clouds. He sent his Holy Spirit. And he promised that life for us would never, ever be the same because those who would receive him, he would give the right to be called sons and daughters of the living God, that we would be a part of his family, his global eternal family from every tribe and every tongue, that we would be his people and we can have confidence. And we have this confidence at Jubilee that that we are a part of not in any effort of our own, but sheer grace to us, grace upon grace, that we are a part of the only thing that ultimately in history will last. Now, not everyone has this confidence, In fact, some would say, and you might say, the church is not on the way up. It's on the way down. It seems irrelevant, outdated, marginal. And from a human perspective, at least in the West, I probably agree with you. In fact, just the reality that the church has made it this far, that is in 2023, is unexplainable. Because what's behind the church is not mere human effort. And this is what I hope that you get out of today. But it is the work of the divine. In fact, it is the central purpose of the divine. And I don't think I'm going out on a limb when I say that one of history's greatest mysteries is that the church even exists. How did a first century cult birthed in the Roman Empire, in the armpit of the Roman Empire, I should add, whose leader was rejected by his own people and crucified by the Romans, survive, and check this out, thrive in the face of violent, organized, state-funded resistance. How did it come about that this Nazarene sect, Jesus was from Nazareth, and it was referred to, what he started was referred to as a Nazarene sect. How did it come about that this sect would eventually be embraced by the very empire that sought to extinguish it for more than 300 years? Sandwiched in between the temple and Caesar, between religious power and uh, military and political power, was this day laborer from Galilee who would become the most famous person in all of history. This is a mystery that historians have pondered really for generations, and they've all come to the same conclusion, which is they can't really explain it. One historian, Karen Armstrong, wrote in her book, Against All Odds, by the third century, Christianity had become a force to be reckoned with. We still do not really understand how this came about. It's surprising that we even know who Jesus is, but we don't just know who Jesus is, but this Jesus of Nazareth would spark a movement that would not only mean something to his generation and in his world, but would become the most followed man in all of history among the most diverse group in all of history. And to add to the amazement is Jesus predicted this would happen. 
which is where our text goes today. Gathered in the northernmost part of, of Israel, really modern-day Syria, is this region known as Caesarea Philippi, where they are gathered. Uh, it was a region that was given by Caesar to Herod the Great, well, actually given to his son Philip by Herod the Great. And Jesus came into this district, and he said, this is verse 13, he asked his disciples, who do, the, who do people say the Son of Man is? What's the word on the street? And, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, basically a really good teacher, but one of many. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, this, this long-awaited one, this Messiah. God promised a king that would, that would, that would set up a new a kingdom on earth, and that you are the promised Messiah. You're the one. And Jesus answered, and blessed are you, Barjona, for, this, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then he says, and I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. Now, a little bit of a side note. Um, Peter, of course, his name means rock, and Barjona simply means uh, son of John or Johnson. So Peter was literally Rock Johnson. And so we, um, if I could do my eyebrow like that, I mean, that joke would, that could make me some money, I think. Um, but he said, this is not something that has been, that you discover, but this is something that God's spirit revealed to you. And just so you know that we, we don't believe if you're new to Christianity or new to understanding who Jesus is, that the knowledge of Jesus and passion for Jesus is not something that we discover. It's something that is revealed and it's where our confidence comes from. Because as we proclaim uh, the scriptures, as we, as we talk about Jesus, as we go public with our faith and it doesn't seem like, man, I don't know that people are going to believe this and, and we have to persuade them. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is a power of God. So we're not up trying to convince people or persuade people or try to make uneducated people educated. We're trying to make blind people see and dead people come alive. And that doesn't happen through persuasion. It has, happens through the power of God. And Jesus says that on this confession that is revealed, it's not discovered, it's revealed this revealed knowledge of who God is on this confession. I will, Jesus says, build my church, my ecclesia, my called out community for my renown. And it's worth noting, in fact, this, this might be the main point I want you to get today, that this mission of Jesus to build his church did not come out of the blue. It wasn't peripheral or secondary to who he was as the Messiah, but it was the very center. It is the very center of the eternal plan of God. In saying that he was the Messiah, it was uh, the natural outworking of the Messiah to build this called out community, this assembly. In fact, the Greek word for church that Jesus used here is a translation of the Hebrew word for the assembly of God's people that we hear about in the Old Testament and it is spoken about uh, in Revelation as well. This is the plan of God. The church in all of its beauty and blunders is God's plan for all humanity. Ephesians, Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter three and verse nine, and to bring to light to everyone that is in the preaching of the gospel, in the public declaration of that Jesus is the Christ. This is why I'm doing it, uh, uh, to, make, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery. 
This church is a mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, the multifaceted wisdom, the, the apex of God's wisdom would be seen through the church. Check this out. And this was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus. So in Jesus saying that he is the Messiah, he is, it's obvious in light of the eternal plan of God that he is the one who is going to build this. And he is saying this has always been a part of God's plan before the foundation of the world. And now I just wanna, I wanna be clear, this is going to be constituted around who I am and this public declaration of the gospel that I am in fact the Messiah, the promised one. And this is talked about all throughout the Old Testament. I'll just mention one place and probably the most obvious place in 2 Samuel where David is prophesying about what God will do through his uh, lineage. He says, I will raise up your offspring after you. This is why we call Jesus is sometimes called the son of David, who the Messiah is called the son of David, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Check this out. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The church is not some side project of Jesus. If it doesn't work out, you know, he'll come up with something else. It is his plan A and there isn't a plan B. And it is completely and utterly constituted around the person of Jesus, built by Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus. I, Jesus says, will build my church. He is building something that is his very own. It is the fulfillment of all that it was promised in the Old Testament. So the promise to Abraham, if you're familiar with this, if you're not, Genesis 12. I will, I will bless you and through your seed, singular, you, it will bless all the families of the earth. Through Jesus, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And this was the point of history. And we see as we look at the back of the book, um, and I don't know if you ever did, when you did book reports, if you ever looked at the back of the book, just to kind of get to the point. Just me, all right, whatever, okay. Um, in the back of the book, we see how the story ends. We have this picture in Revelation 7. And this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one can number. What are we talking about? He's talking about the church from every tribe and from all tribes of people, from all nations and all languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. This is the promise of Jesus that I will build my church from every nation and from every tribe. And it is happening and it will happen and continue to happen until all the people groups of the world are standing before the throne with one voice, shouting the name of Jesus, confessing that he is in fact the Messiah and, and him and him alone is salvation. And this is happening. It's happening all over the world. And for those who are interested in diversity, the, 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 you know, because everyone's trying to unify people, bring people together, and it just never works. There's only one thing that works. It is the blood of the lamb who breaks down the wall of hostility and creates in him one new man. And there's never been a um, I hate to use these words, religion or philosophy that has ever done that. If you do your own history, it is the most diverse group of people, Christians in all of the earth, yes. as opposed to, and especially I would say, secular humanism. Yes. 
Statistically, the, the most likely person in the world to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that the Bible is true, that heaven is real, is a dark-skinned woman. That is the picture of the global church in 2023. Secular humanism, which is the most fierce philosophy in our day, in our world, that opposes this, is very 20th century, Western, white, male, educated, and wealthy. Secular humanists are 50% more likely to be male, and they are 46 times more likely to be white. The faux attempts at diversity just doesn't work, but one thing will work. It is the blood of Jesus. It is the fact that he is the Messiah, and he is collecting for himself a people from all tribes and all tongues, and he is going to get it. He is getting it, and we all will be him with him one day, and that is what is if you want to know what people are so enthusiastic about in their worship, they're thinking about this community and what God is doing on earth. I mean, if your picture of the church is some 90-minute experience that you uh, experience a couple of times a month, then you can have a very, very small view of the church, and it may not seem all that exciting. But I remember the, the songs of old the hymns of old, on that bright and golden morning when the Son of Man shall come and the radiance of his glory we shall see, when from every tribe and every nation he shall call his people home. What a gathering of the ransom that will be. What a gathering, what a gathering, what a gathering of the ransomed in the summer land of love. What a gathering, what a gathering of the ransom in that happy home above. This gathering of God's people. That's what the psalmist says in, in chapter 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. Now, are they talking about a building? I mean, as much as I love this new building, it's not talking about this building. Oh, I just love to come to this building. There is a picture of God's temple, which is a physical building in the old covenant. In the new covenant, the temple of God is the people of God. Life upon life, brick upon brick, he inhabits the praises of his people. And those who understand the glorious purpose of God in and through his church are thinking about this, this glorious people that are gathered around the throne, saints of old, saints of present, saints of the future, martyrs, all gathered around. What a gathering. What a gathering it will be. What a gathering it is. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let me go to this gathering because this is the apple of God's eye and this is what he's after here on earth. And it's guaranteed to happen because check out this next statement. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Um, and just to state the obvious, gates are not offensive. This isn't about us hunkering down and hoping the, the big bad devil doesn't get us. Um, the gates are defensive. I've never been attacked by a gate. I've never been walking down and, oh my gosh, a, a gate's after me. I better run. Gates try to hold me back. Nothing will 
come against the forward advancing movement of the local church built upon the, the, the uh, declaration that Jesus is the Christ, built upon the fact of the. So when you hear terms like we want to be a gospel centered church, what does that mean? Well, it, it's basically just stating the obvious, obvious that the only church that does exist is one that's centered around the gospel, one that is centered around the person of Jesus, his death, his life, his resurrection, and all that he said he is. But more generally, when he says the gates of Hades shall not prevail, Hades is referring to uh, the realm of the dead. He says, I'm building something that death won't stop. Matthew, your death's not going to stop it. Peter, your death's going to stop it. Not even my death is going to stop it. The death of me will not be the death of the church because Jesus did what no other dead person had done before. And that is he did not stay dead, but he rose to new life. And through this resurrection, you and I, you and I have a, not just a resurrected life, but with that, a resurrected purpose that all that we lived for before is in the past. And, and we have this new life, this new future that's looking forward to this gathering in heaven that will be him one day forever. And nothing, nothing will come against it. But you and I have, you and I have a problem. It's the problem Peter had in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter's like, I don't like that Jesus, and rebuked him. He said, my, my Jesus is not a suffering servant. My Jesus is a conquering king. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I don't know if you guys do like high-low at dinner time. Use your family. You guys ever do that? Hey, where's your high today? Where's your low day? Imagine being Peter going home with his wife, and his wife's like, hey, what's, high low, let's do high low. He's like, what was your high? Well, Jesus said, I'm going to be the anchor of the church. And the low? Well, he said, I remind him of Satan. And um, <laughs> if you average them out, if you average them out, you know, it's not a bad day. Not a bad day. One of the reasons why I think you can have confidence that the Bible is authentic is like, man, if you wrote this, you would never ever include that part. <laughs> Jesus says, you are a stumbling block to me. Your made up version of who you think I am is a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Peter and all of his crew and everyone who lived, they lived with this reality is that we want a Messiah who's going to come and kick some Roman butt. And they thought that way all the way up until he flew. Hey, is now the time you're going to do it? They so believed it. And we, we may or may not believe something like that, but we believe, here's what we believe. We believe in a me-centered version of Jesus. That's built around consumerism and God wants me to be happy and, and I, I, I have my individualistic life and he's there for pep talks when I get down. He's there to, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. It's all about what I think. I don't know how many times I hear people say, well, this, my God wouldn't do this. My God wouldn't do that. My G we need to hear Jesus say, that that is a satanic perspective 
of who God is. And it should give us confidence to hold center on who Christ reveals himself to be. Which is a conquering king one day. But he came to suffer and die. And that's why he goes next when he says, then Jesus said to his disciples, you want to, want to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Before the cross was an ornamental piece of jewelry or a popular tattoo option, it was a horrific, horrific, horrific symbol of death and shame. And Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, there's going to be some death and there's going to be some shame. If you want to come after me, if you want to build what I'm building, there's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some, some shame. He's going to tell you some things that you don't want to do. He may tell you to end a relationship you don't want to end. He may say, give your life to service when it doesn't fit into your five-year plan. Forgo career advancement because the kingdom payoff is bigger going in a different direction. To make a financial sacrifice that will alter your lifestyle. To forgive someone you don't want to forgive. To deny your desires and submit to his vision of sexuality. To stand on something when it'd be easier to be silent about it. And I could go on and on. At some point, Obedience to Jesus is going to take you in a direction 180 degrees that you are going currently. Obedience led Jesus to do something in his flesh that he did not want to do. In the garden, he prayed out, Father, if it's possible, remove this cup of suffering from me. It's okay to be honest with him. I don't, I don't want to give up this relationship. I don't want to forego this opportunity. If it's possible, can I keep the money? Can I keep the relationship? But then, to say, but not my will, but your will. To be a disciple, to be a part of what he's building, built upon the confession that he is the Messiah. He is exactly who he says he is. And we know, we know that we know from the, the Bible that Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. And for the joy set before him, he endured. And for the joy of his church, you will too. How do we apply this? Well, I want to encourage us to publicly profess Jesus Christ. Um, and the, um, the ushers are going to be passing something out here in a minute. Um, an older woman, I heard a story, an older woman walks into a church and says to the usher, and says, hey, she was late. And she tells the usher, hey, I want to sit in the front seat. Um, take me to the front seat. And the usher's like, hey, that's cool. I just got to let you know, though, that our preacher's very boring. And uh, it's likely that you'll fall asleep and that would be embarrassing for you. And to which the older woman replied, do you know who I am? And he, the usher's like, no, ma'am, I'm sorry, I don't. And she's like, well, I am the preacher's mother. And to which the usher says, well, do you know who I am? And the, the, the older woman said, no, I don't. And he said, good. And he took off. And so, um, uh, being anonymous can sometimes work out for you, but is not allowed in the kingdom of God. That's why the first thing that you do as a Christian or you're supposed to do as a Christian, is to be baptized. 
to say, I'm, I'm on team Jesus now. And whatever you're wrestling with, even to take that step, if you've never taken that step, I mean, this is the point um, throughout history and in other parts of the world where, where it's illegal. Uh, this is the point of, of sacrifice, is going public with your faith. But it can be more. It's what we say and what we do. And we're handing out these blessing cards. We have this, our evangelistic strategy, if you will, is to, is to live, is, to, is bless, um, begin with prayer, listen, eat, uh, serve, and share your story. And there are five things you can do. You're going to get one of five things. One is to want, you could get a card that says, do a chore for a neighbor. Second one could be um, pray for someone to be healed. Third one may be buy a coffee for the person behind me in line. Share your testimony, what Christ did for you with someone in church. And then, or finally, invite someone to church. These are all things you can do to say, hey, I believe in the power of Jesus. I believe what he's done in my life, and I want you to know something about it through, through serving or through speaking. Um, it's funny, both for Ella and for Tucker, uh, in the first service, they got, invite someone to church, and this is their last Sunday here, and they're like, what, what should I do? I said, well, you better hurry up. And so <laughs> we... Uh, it will be fun. Our groups are going to start not this week, but next week, the week of uh, September the 4th. And when we gather in our groups, it'll just be a really fun um, to be able to share the stories of what God did by us just taking a little step of faith and say, you know what, I want to be, I want to be public with who Christ is, and I want to share that in a small way. And some of us are going to have stories that are awesome, and some of us are going to have stories that are lame. And like, let's just, if you have a lame one, don't feel bad about it. Like, if it's just, what I mean by that is you go, Maybe you go do a chore for a neighbor and they're not there and you go to your next neighbor and they're not there and you show up and you're like, hey, I, no one was there. Or, or, you know, you buy someone coffee and, and they don't like coffee. I don't know. Something bad may happen. I don't know. But the point is, is that we all go out and do it together. And I think between all of our locations, there's going to be upwards of a thousand people doing small things. And I just think those small things can be big things. So go public there. Take on the blessing challenge Two, get in community. God's looking for the, the church. If the church is a people, it's not a place, which means if you're not connected to people, you're not really a part of the church. God's not looking to collect a bunch of bricks. He's looking to build a house. I mean, no one's like, oh man, look at these bricks, man. These bricks are awesome. And he's, look at that. I mean, it's such a beautiful pile of bricks. Like, no, it's, it's the building that God's building. And some of us, when we think about our faith or we think about Christianity in general, we look at individual bricks. We look at our life. We're like, I'm I'm nothing. And so our view of ourselves and our view of the brick that we are is nothing. And so our view of the church and our view of Jesus is nothing based upon a reflection of us. Or we may look to someone else like, I don't like that brick. It's not about the individual bricks. It's about the building that he's building. When you take a step back and you look at his glorious bride made up of every tribe and every tongue from all people, from all nations and all places, man, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing to behold. And it happens in the context when we build life upon life and brick upon brick. So get into community and finally engage the mission. If you're not sure about what your place is in the church. We have something called growth track that you'll have to wait till the first Sunday in October to start taking it. But that is your next step to, to join our growth track. But I just want to leave you with a little confident, a little bit of confidence about the practical, what, the practical good that the church does 
We've been getting a nosebleed a little bit at the elevation of what the church is, and I just want to give it some practical benefit, is that a lot of people want to dog the church practically in what it does, but the facts tell a different story. Um, For example, did you know that Christians adopt more children than any other population segment, and it's not even close? Church attenders donate more time and money to charity than anyone in America, and it's not even close. They are more likely, this might surprise you, they're more likely to give money and volunteer time to help the immigrants in their city. The higher the church attendance in a city, the lower its burglary, larceny, robbery, assault, and homicide. Regular church attendance significantly improves mental health. Uh, Five times less likely to commit suicide and the only population segment to experience an increase in mental health in 2020 when everybody was going crazy. Church attendance is crazy good for our kids. Crazy good for our kids. Higher GPAs, higher satisfaction with family, higher satisfaction in friendships. 33% more likely to avoid drinking, smoking, drugs, sexual promiscuity. Check this out. A 2016 Harvard's School of Public Health study showed that people who attend church weekly on average live seven years longer. Some people say, I don't have time to go to church. Church attendance literally gives you more time. <laughs> I did the math. It just, you can't. So if you want to be a part of what it has historically transformed what it means to be human, solve the world's orphan crisis, eliminate poverty, love the immigrant, reduce crime, improve mental health, raise better kids, and literally prolong your life, be a part of what God is doing in his local church. And for 2,000 years, no weapon formed against the church has prospered. No external force. There's been some internal ones that get us off track. Legalism gets us off track. Uh, Self-interest gets us off track misunderstanding the scriptures. There's a lot of things where the church has gotten off track. But ultimately, there is no weapon formed against a church that will fail. It will happen. It is happening, and God would want you to be a part of it. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for us. Paul said that if Christ had not been risen, our faith is in vain, but Christ has been written, so our faith is not in vain. It is the foundation of our faith. And this resurrected life of Jesus leads to a resurrected life for you and a resurrected purpose. And my hope is that you would step into that today. And maybe you're here or watching online and, and you've never like stepped into a relationship with Jesus. You've, you've stepped into some religious construct but never said, I and following the Messiah, the promised one, the one who would defeat Satan, hell, and the grave. I want to give my life to him, and I want to recognize him as my Savior through baptism. Maybe that's something you would step forward and do today, and I want to invite you. If that's you, I want to pray for you, but I want you to come uh, up later and talk to a leader and, and get engaged. And, or maybe, you, maybe you're, you're like you're on Team Jesus, but you've been very skeptical about the church. I mean, you'll show up, now and then, but you've not really stepped foot into that. I want you to know that being on Team Jesus is synonymous with being a part of his bride. Jesus died for the church. He loves the church. He's ahead of the church. His name is at stake with the church. 
and he invites you to be a part. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the grace that you've given us to save us from our sins, that you died and paid the penalty and you rose to new life. And because of your new life, we have new life and purpose. And we thank you for letting us be a part of your global family. I pray you just raise our vision of what the church is. And God, would you help us specifically as Jubilee Church, course correct. Lord, if there's something you're not happy with, God, I pray you reveal it so that we can walk forward in your plan and purposes for this city and through this city, the world.